Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our final episode of the Positional Ranking Series, and today we're going to talk about our top 10 Eastern Conference centers. So, Jalen, who are your top 10 Eastern Conference centers? Man, this was an interesting one. Um, I'm going to start at 10. I have Daniel Tice of the Boston Celtics. At number nine, I have Thomas Bryant of the Washington Wizards. At number eight, I have Jared Allen of the Brooklyn Nets. At number seven, I have Clint Capella of the Atlanta Hawks. Number six, man, I don't like this list at all. At number six, I have Aaron Baines of the now Toronto Raptors. At number five, I have Andre Drummond of the Cleveland Cavaliers. At number four, I have Miles Turner of the Indiana Pacers. At number three, I have Brooke Lopez of the Milwaukee Bucks. At number two, I have Nikola Vucevic of the Orlando Magic. And at number one, I have Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. Man, that was a rough one. What the heck? <laughs> okay. Uh, number 10, Daniel Tice of the Boston Celtics. Number nine, Brooke Lopez of the Milwaukee Bucks. Number eight, Jared Allen of the Brooklyn Nets. Number seven, Mitchell Robinson of the New York Knicks. Number six, Wendell Carter Jr. of the Chicago Bulls. Number five, Miles Turner of the Indiana Pacers. Number four, Andre Drummond of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Number three, Clint Capella of the Atlanta Hawks. Number two, Nikola Vucevic of the Orlando Magic. And number one, Joel Embiid of the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, so we're in a really interesting place right here because there's there's a lot of stuff that we can probably talk about. Ryan, as per the theme, we're going to kind of start from the bottom down. And I think the most interesting part that we're going to start at is actually closer to the middle. So you have Wendell Carter Jr., who I had as an honorable mention, by the way, um, at six, and you have Mitchell Robinson at seven. Now, I don't have either one of these guys on my list. I did say as a second ago, Carter Jr. is an honorable mention, so he would have been a close 10th. I even potentially would maybe put him over Daniel Tice under these circumstances, but as the list is uh, set, I do not have him on my list. I definitely do not have Mitchell Robinson on my list. What is it about these two guys in particular that stand out to you that not only have them on your list, but have them as better centers, more specifically over guys like Jared Allen and, and, uh, and, and Brooke Lopez? So I look at the upside of both of these guys, Wendell Carter Jr. and Mitchell Robinson, um, and I, I project that they are going to be top 10 centers. Um, Mitchell Robinson has shown a lot of improvement in New York, and he's become – one of the best players on the Knicks. And I think that, you know, the, the upside of a guy like Mitchell Robinson could be beneficial in pairing with a guy like Julius Randle or even Obi Toppin. Um, I think that, you know, Mitchell Robinson being one of the most, one of the up and coming NBA centers is something to watch out for. And he's been putting out great performances for the Knicks. And I know that the Knicks as a team, are not as good, but I think that 
Mitchell Robinson as one of their bright spots. Um, I would probably have to say the same thing for Wendell Carter. Um, again, the upside of a guy like Wendell Carter um, should be noted. He's averaging 11 points a game, and he's, he's almost averaging 11 and 10 a game. Um, he's shown slight improvement, um, but I think that a guy like Wendell Carter Jr. taking over the center position for your Chicago Bulls, um, I think he's really holding down the center position. I think that he's on a very young team that I think is a very underrated team. There's a lot of star. There's a lot of uh, young stars on this team that are showing out, like Patrick Williams, who you drafted with the fourth overall pick. You also still have Zach Levine on this team, who is turning out to be a great point guard or a, a great guard in the uh, in the NBA and a great guard for your team. So I think that Wendell Carter is just another asset to this very young Chicago Bulls team. Um, so I think personally between both of these guys, Robins, both of these guys, Robinson and Carter, I think that they have the capability to be some of the best to, to be two of the best centers in the league. And they're also young players too. They're both second year players. So I think that they have a lot of upside. And I think that, you know, they could eventually end up becoming all-stars in the NBA. I, I see them being second or third options on their teams. Um, so I, I kind of see them growing as players as they enter their third year in the NBA. So I think that last part of your take is where things get dicey. I really strongly disagree with the whole second or third best player, second best option on their team. Let's start with the Knicks. You argue that Julius Randle uh, was one of the top 10 uh, power forwards in the Eastern Conference. I think he's arguably either the second or third option on that team. I think that R.J. Barrett is going to be a guy that they want to put the balls in, put, put, put the ball in his hands a lot. I think he's a guy who might even run, run combo guard as a potential lead point guard for them at some point, kind of on a Justice Winslow-esque experiment. Obi Toppin is another guy who I think they're going to try to feature a lot. You took him at eight. I think you got to make a play. I think that's arguable. I also think another interesting thing about Robinson in particular, and we're going to touch on this um, a little bit later, but I think that Robinson and Clint Capella are the same person. Personally, I think Robinson might even have better defensive upside as a shot blocker. This is a guy who averages between, what, two and three blocks per game? I mean, and, and flirts with four blocks per game. Um, on a, you know, on a given night in terms of, you know, in a given stretch. Um, this is a guy who's a definitely, I mean, him and Jared Allen are probably even more comparable than him and Clint Capella. And I think all three of them are ironically all in the same, the same ilk. And that's kind of my interesting thing with them is just that Robinson is a one dimensional shot blocking center doesn't get you much points. I mean, he averages under what, like seven points per game. I don't think he's like very much of like an offensive score by any stretch. Like he's anywhere between maybe seven and 11. Like he's not somebody who's given you much of an offensive output, even for a Knicks team that desperately needs offense out offensive output. And then moving on to a guy, window Carter jr. You know how I feel about the bulls, man. You know that I can't talk dirty about these guys, but window Carter is not the third offensive option on this team he might not even be the fourth offensive option we know that Zach Levine's number one I could argue that Kobe White is number two 
I think that Laurie Markinen is number three when healthy. And I think working in Otto Porter, I think he's a guy who's going to be number four, if not a guy in Patrick Williams, who now is actually starting over Otto Porter. And Otto Porter is getting a lot more run at the three spot coming off the bench. Wendell Carter also has not been healthy each of the last season and a half, essentially season and a half to two years that he's been with Chicago. He's a guy who we have to remember he's in the same draft class as Marvin Bagley. And one could argue that coming out of that draft class, he actually probably was better than Marvin Bagley. But right now, neither one of them are proving that either one of them are top five, top five to top 10 picks in the NBA right now. So I think with Wendell Carter, I think the projection is definitely there. Um, coming, out of, coming out of the draft, he, uh, he was a guy who was going to be projected as maybe a more athletic version of the prime version of Al Horford. And I still think that that's on the table. But we haven't seen him healthy. You know what I mean? We haven't seen this guy healthy in either of the last two seasons. And I think that hurts them. I think that hurts him significantly because a guy like Patrick Williams is getting more run between the three and the four spot. A guy in Daniel Gafford, who they took in that same exact draft, has shown a lot of upside when healthy as an athletic four or five who shot blocks and does a lot of the same things Wendell Carter does, just maybe doesn't shoot the three as well. I need to see Wendell Carter take a P.J. Washington-esque jump. I need to see Wendell Carter be a guy who can stretch the floor, still shot block, be the athletic rim runner we know he can be, and just stay healthy. If he can do those things, I'll put him in the top 10. But until he does that, I can't even put him over a guy like Brooke Lopez, who was a prominent stretch big for a Milwaukee Bucks team that was number one in the Eastern Conference the last two years and is probably one of the best, best stretch fives in the entire league in terms of being a guy who shoots the three at a high clip. I think probably the next best stretch five, official five man, probably is a guy who we talked about in our last list being Nikola Jokic. Other than that, I think in terms of shooting the three ball, Brooke Lopez is probably the second best three-point shooter at the five position in the whole NBA, let alone the Eastern Conference. So it's kind of hard for me to put those guys above a guy like uh, above a guy like Brooke Lopez. Gosh, I keep thinking about Robin because he was on our team for most of last year, but you know. So to talk about Mitchell Robinson first <clears throat> and why I put him over um, Jared Allen, I think that for all the reasons that you mentioned about Mitchell Robinson, I would say the same thing for Jared Allen, except that Mitchell Robinson has a lot of potential and he has a lot of upside as well as a, as a center for the New York Knicks and maybe a featured part of the offense. I know you mentioned RJ Barrett's most likely going to be the first option. Um, Emmanuel quickly give or take could be the second option. Maybe third option could either go to Julius Randall or Mitchell Robinson, whoever's on the floor at that time. But, uh, but you mentioned that Mitchell Robinson is a defensive shot-blocking center. I would argue that that's what Jared Allen is, except that Mitchell Robinson has a lot more upside and a lot more potential to be more than just a defensive shot-blocking center than Jared Allen. Um, I know that statistically, yes, he only puts up 10-7, and seven, but it's his second year in the league. So we have yet to see Mitchell Robinson hit his prime. Um, 
And then for a guy like Jared Allen, he puts up 11 and 10, which is the same numbers that Wendell Carter puts up. So I don't know. Maybe it's just me having a lot of uh, hope that the younger centers can uh, hit their prime soon or should I say perform better in when they get more minutes or I guess score more in more minutes. Um, but that's kind of my stance on why they, why I have them placed above Jared Allen in terms of Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez went from a, a guy who averages 20 points a game and um, a guy who averages 20 and five a game to all the way down to 12 points a game. So, I just think that, look, Brooke Lopez used to be a featured part in offense, especially with the Brooklyn Nets where he was averaging, like I mentioned, 20 and five a game, shooting 40% from the floor or from the floor and close to 35% from three. But he's not the same guy. He's not the same guy that was on Brooklyn anymore. He's not a featured part in the offense because when he left Brooklyn to go to Milwaukee and even before that with the Lakers, he wasn't a featured part in any of their offenses. And I think Brooke Lopez thrives as a featured guy in the offense. Um, statistically, it shows that, especially, like I said, with Brooklyn, where he was arguably the number one option on their team. And I think that in Milwaukee, he's still a great player, but he's not featured as much. I want to see him excel as a player on his own, especially that, especially considering that he was one of the first centers that could shoot threes consistently he was one of the he was a guy who could stretch the floor he could play he can play defense he can be a rim protector um but most importantly like i said he can shoot threes in a time where centers are pretty much required to shoot threes but i think from a scoring aspect yes the numbers statistically don't look nearly as good as what they were when he was in brooklyn and even in new jersey to start his career but I just think that, you know, I need Brooke Lopez to be a feature part in the offense for me to consider him in the top five. Okay. I think that's fair. I think that's relatively fair. And I think that's something that should be taken into account is that his role has gradually declined. I just think maybe I'm factoring in too much of the fact that Milwaukee is a, you know, perennial 50-plus win team, 50 to 60-plus win team. Um, maybe I'm factoring in the fact that he is, like I said beforehand, probably the second best overall three-point shooter at the position in the entire league. And maybe that's something that I'm overvaluing. Um, maybe I'm even overvaluing the fact that really all he is is a three and D center, which is an interesting concept by its fact by its by its own margins. So it's one of those things that because it's such a unique position for him to play on a Milwaukee team where he's really only asked to shoot threes and protect the rim, he fills his role relatively well despite scat despite not really averaging many points. I get that the 12 points per game thing is not very eye-opening, but I think he fills his role relatively well. I think, you know, it's one of those things where I guess I guess you valued Brooke Lopez in a similar ilk to the same way that you valued a guy like Al Horford. He does well within the role that he was presented. And I think that's fair. I think it's a really fair point. Um, I think to bounce off of that, though, my question, we'll, we'll move on to the next guy, is, and I, I mentioned it earlier in the podcast that we were going to touch on him, so I want to make sure we don't leave leave off. Clint Capella is third on your list. 
And as I mentioned earlier, Clint Capella, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson, Jared Allen, maybe even Daniel Tice, all rim-running bigs that are asked to protect the rim. They're all guys who are asked to run the rim, grab boards, get putbacks, finish strong. They're not asked to have an outside game. They're not asked to have post-up games. They're simply guys who run to the basket and finish around the rim. Glorified DeAndre Jordans of the LA Clipper times, just maybe not as athletic. Now, my argument for Clint Capella being over these guys that I listed, specifically Robinson, Allen, and Tice, is that Clint Capella with the right point guard, we saw this with James Harden, created one of the best pick-and-roll duos in the league. So his understanding of the pick-and-roll, which is probably the most prominent offensive action in the NBA nowadays makes him a top five level center. And I'm willing to, I'm willing to concede that having him at seven might be a bit low, but number three, I'm not so sure about that one though. I kind of have the same concerns about why you put Brooke Lopez at three. I guess that's, I'm, I'm sort of like reciprocating those concerns because Brooke Lopez, you think that he is he has a featured role in the offense for the Bucks when Giannis is the number one option and it looks like Drew's gonna end Drew Holiday's going to end up being the second option. I think Brooke, like I mentioned in the last take, Brooke Lopez thrives better as a featured part in the offense, and he's not a featured part in the Bucks offense. Um he is their starting center, but Giannis, like I mentioned, is the first option. Drew Holiday is now going to be the second option. For all the for all the reasons that you mentioned with Clint Capella, I think that Clint Capella thrives in a pick and roll offense, and he may have a new pick and roll partner that is turning out to be one of the best point guards in the league in Trey Young, um, and he's also going to be working with a guy who has an extremely high IQ in Rajon Rondo. To say that maybe that's not the best thing for him is, is, I don't know. Because I think that when you pair him up with a guy like Trey Young and Rajon Rondo, they're two completely different point guards. But Clint Capella is coming off a season where he was averaging 14 and 14. And he is a double-double machine. Um, and like I said, thrives in the pick and roll. He has a, I would say, a much better pick-and-roll partner in Trey Young. Um, and I think that Clint Capella is going to be able to thrive in this new offense. I think in Houston, he was still putting up the same numbers, but he was not going to be a feature part in the offense considering that that team had James Harden. And then they also picked up Russell Westbrook. And then you could say Eric, Eric Gordon was their third option. So Clint Capella's role on the totem pole was significantly declining with more stars on their team, and especially with more guys who wanted the ball. Like I said, Harden, Westbrook, Gordon, um, they all wanted their touches. I think Clint Capella is going to get a much larger role in this offense. And I think that with the amount of – I think with the amount of – I guess, offensive ability that Trey Young has, and then the IQ of a guy like Rondo, I think they could be beneficial for Clint Capella. I think 
that Clint Capella is still going to put up close to 15 and 15 a game, I would say, give or take. But I still feel like from a role standpoint, I think he has a much larger role now that he's in Atlanta. I think that last point is kind of interesting out of the fact that Onyeka Kongu at six, John Collins, who have you who you who have to see a large output of, output from offensively and defensively this year because he's in a contract year. A lot of guys tend to play up in contract years. That's what helped Julius Randle get paid. Um, that's what helped Brandon Ingram get paid. Um, and John Collins is kind of next on the docket as being a guy who kind of needs to play himself into an extension. You have one guy who's playing for a check and you have another guy that you took at six overall in the draft. I know they traded for Clint Capella, but he's also damaged goods. They got him injured and he missed most of the season last year with, you know, due to injury, didn't even play a single minute for Atlanta. You know what I mean? So I understand that his pick and roll upside is huge. I definitely think he has the point guards to run it at a very efficient clip. My, my question is, and this will have a lot to do with how Atlanta decides to focus on developing guys like Onyeka, like Cam Reddish, um, even guys like Herter and DeAndre Hunter. I think that the kind of minutes that we see from a guy like Clint Capella, for example, Danilo Gallinari, Bogdan, that will give us an indication on whether or not this Atlanta team is looking to push for the playoffs with a strong core of established players in the NBA or still looking to build up some of the guys that they've reached high lottery picks on that they know are the future of this team. If the former is correct, I think Clint Capella is arguably a top three, if not top five center in the NBA, because he's going to get a lot of bites at the apple along two point guards who thrive very well in pick and roll situations. If the latter is correct, Clint Capella is not going to see the floor for longer than maybe a 15 to 20 minute stretch, which I feel like he can do significant damage within that time frame. But there's, there, there is wonder as to whether or not Clint Capella can have a significant impact within a shorter span of time on the floor. I don't know if he's a burst guy who can Zion Williamson esque get a lot done in a shorter, short period of time. I don't think he has that kind of upside, but I think that Atlanta's trajectory in terms of what they decide to do with their, with their future core is going to tell us a lot about what Clint Capella is or isn't going to be for this team. I think that's going to be the most important thing. So I understand where you're coming from. And I do kind of realize that there is a, there's a odd man out situation where Clint Capella may end up being that guy. A part of me kind of believes that this is a loaded front court. And I feel like there, there's so many valuable assets to have on the offensive side. Um, Clint Capella is a guy, Clint Capella is a guy who can give you 15 and 15 a night. John Collins, you mentioned he's going into a contract year. How is he going to perform? Is he going to perform well so that he can get paid? Yeka Ankongu is the sixth overall pick. And then we have Bruno Fernando, who they got in the first round last year, who we haven't seen a lot of yet. If, we, if you want us to talk about the guy that we saw in Maryland, 
that's another guy who can give you 15 and 15 a game and thrive in the pick and roll because he was able to do that with Anthony Cowan at Maryland. But there's a feeling where I, I, I have a strong feeling there's an odd man out in this situation. And it, I don't know who it could be. Um, maybe it could be Collins, but he's coming on contract year, like I said. Could it end up being Capella? I would hate to see Capella go, considering that that's a huge asset to this Atlanta offense that could really use a guy like Capella, who could really use a guy like Capella considering the fact that he thrives on the pick and roll and he's given a couple of good pick and roll partners in Trey Young and Bogdan Bogdanovich and Rajon Rondo coming off the bench. I don't know. I think that there's a chance that I believe that Capella stays, but then you're wondering, you know, as you, as you look at the depth of this team, how you split minutes between Collins and Yeka and Kongwu Bruno Fernando, um, and then Clint Capella. I think that's the main question going into next season. And maybe that'll just be maybe that'll be the determining factor because I mean maybe he is a top three center in the in the Eastern Conference. Maybe maybe he is. You know what I mean? If you were a top pick and roll partner with James Harden in the Western Conference, arguably a top five, top six center in the West. There's a maybe I could I, I don't know if anybody necessarily agrees with that take, but potentially. That could be the case. But in the Eastern Conference, that might be something that's a lot more valued, especially because of the circumstances. Um, moving on to the final question that I kind of want to end off the podcast with is, who is somebody either on your list that you feel like is going to move up into the top five? So it would be somebody in your bottom, your bottom of five, six through 10, or somebody who you believe is not on the list that can not only get on your list, but crack at least the top six. You can pick either one of those, either somebody you feel like will move up your list or somebody who you feel is not on your list that could be a top six center in the East by the end of the season. So this is going to be tough, but I'm going to defend Mitchell Robinson possibly being a top five center. I think that Mitchell Robinson, like I said, has a lot of upside and he's more of a he's more than just a defensive shot blocking center. I think his ability to attack the glass, his ability to go into the paint, grab rebounds, um, being able to put back shots as well. These are just some of the strong aspects that I've seen throughout his game. Um, and again, maybe just the featured part of the offense part. Um, I think just him being a featured um a featured guy in this offense outside of Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, and um, possibly Emmanuel quickly. That's going to be something that I want to see going in the next season, how he's able to, how, how he's able to go up against some of the top centers in the East, like Clint Capella, like Nikola Vucevic, like Joel Embiid. And I'll even talk about the Western conference with Nikola Jokic and Yusuf Nurkic and Carl Anthony Towns. Those guys. I want to see how Mitchell Robinson um, improves now going into his third year and how he holds his own against um, against other other great centers. Um, what do you think? Um, I think with Mitchell Robinson, that's a really intriguing one. I think the biggest thing with them is I think that's going to have to do a lot with how the Knicks decide to run their offense. And unfortunately, they don't have the most offensive minded coach. So I think that's going to be one of those things that hurts them. I think that's also what kind of hurt them in the past with David Fitzdale as well. So we'll have to see. I think that the young guys on this team are very, um, very 
they have a lot of upside to them. I'll say that. That's how I want to put it. There's a lot of there's a lot to to gain from seeing these guys on the court. I think Ovi Toppin is going to be a guy who's in the running for rookie of the year this year. I think that he's in a really good position for that. I told you that I believe that RJ Barrett arguably could be a guy who could end up in the most improved player conversation by the end of the season. So I have a lot of high hopes for the Knicks considering the circumstances that they finally going to have a competent coach who does preach defense. And they have a interesting young core that I feel like could have some really big bright spots starting with Emmanuel quickly. I think Frank Nilakina is somebody that people are still sleeping on as a all NBA um, defender level player. Mitchell Robinson is definitely a, an elite shot blocker and RJ Baird is a guy who I think is going to take a step. So I think Mitchell Robinson is an interesting pick top five um, to be determined um, for you, that's only two spots moved up. So that's not necessarily as drastic. For me, not having him on his list, I, I having him on the list, that would maybe be somebody I could argue would be on my list by the end of the year, but maybe not top five. My guy that I have to argue will move up my list into the top five, Thomas Bryant of the Washington Wizards. I have him at nine, and I feel like he's in a really good position right now to take yet again another leap. I'm not going to compare him to Giannis. I'm going to compare him more to a guy like um, more like um, Pascal Siakam, who we discussed on the power forward segment for the Eastern Conference. This is a guy in Thomas Bryant who's improved every season since his first year in 2017. He averaged one and a half points in 2017. One rebound, no assists, basically. Year two, ten and a half points. Nearly a block a game, nearly an assist and a half a game, and six rebounds. Last season, 13.2 points per game, a block per game, nearly two assists, and seven rebounds. Most interesting thing about this entire situation is that he also improved from the three-point line. He went from shooting 10% to 33% to being a 40% three-point shooter. He's improved every single year in that department, as well as being a guy who's improved um, around the rim as a 60-plus percent, you know, shooter around the rim, basically within 18 feet. So now, with the kind of spacing that they have with Denny Avdia, Davis Bertans, um, Bradley Beal, and a guy who, despite being labeled as a bit of a ball hog and a stat chaser, Russell Westbrook is a relatively good facilitator. I think with the spacing that they have on the floor, along with the fact that now they actually have a facilitating point guard, something I was hoping we were going to see in terms of having John Wall at the lead, but Russell Westbrook, relatively similar player. I think with an actual facilitating guard at the point guard spot, along with the kind of spacing that they have, that Thomas Bryant could be a 37 to 40% three-point shooter once again and probably be in the uptick of somewhere around 16 and 8, 16 and 9. And I think that respectively puts him within the top five center spot within the Eastern Conference. I think that Thomas Bryant is a guy who, if he continues on this trajectory, as the Wizards also are adding players to their roster that actually have some upside, I think that I think that this is a guy who's going to be able to get more space and he's going to get more opportunity. And the Wizards are starting out the year without Rui Hachimura due to injury. So I think that although Thomas Bryant plays the five, 
I think that's going to put Denny Avdia and Bertans more in the game. And that's going to give a lot more spacing to Thomas Bryant. And I definitely think that Thomas Bryant is the lead center on this team, which means that that spacing is complementary to him in a way that I think that'll open up the floor and give him more bites at the apple. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which center do you believe will show the biggest improvement this season? Mitchell Robinson or Wendell Carter Jr.? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk Podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get our podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace. Thank you.